Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, another beautiful, powerful morning of worship together here at Hosanna, amen? My gosh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be with all of you at all four of our campuses and anybody who's joining us online. And I'm really looking forward to jumping into today's message. But before I do, I wanted to bring just a brief word of of update and encouragement to us as a church. Many of you already know, but some of you don't, that one of our campus pastors, Pastor Peter Ide, at our Rosemount campus was recently diagnosed with colon cancer. And we want you to know out of the gates that Pastor Peter Ide and his family are full of faith. They are full of faith, they are full of hope, and they already have been surrounded by the amazing medical community here in Minnesota and also surrounded in such a beautiful way by this faith community. I wanted to particularly just bring you a quick snapshot of a week ago Saturday when the call went out to the Rosemount campus and to leaders in our church to come and pray. And over 300 people showed up to pray for Peter Ide, to lay hands on him, to, to anoint him with oil, and to pray in faith for his healing. And it was one of those times, and I have these times a lot here at Hosanna, where I just stand back and marvel at the beauty of this church. I just marvel at the beauty of this church. And so Pastor Peter, he's full of faith, he's full of hope. We, we do invite you and encourage you to be praying for him and for his family as he enters into treatment over these next weeks and months. But as the Lord would have it, two weeks from now, we're starting a series on miracles. So we really believe the Lord has gone ahead of us. So can we thank him ahead of time for the work he'll do in Peter's life? Indeed, indeed, and we'll get to behold it. We'll get to behold it. Well, as I start the message today, I'm gonna begin with a question for you just to get your wheels spinning, and the question is, have you ever been in a crowd where you felt like you did not belong? Has that ever happened to you? You can be thinking about it. I'm gonna tell you a quick story out of someone in my life. Many of you know that Ryan and I uh, come from Seattle, so every summer we go out to visit our families, and one of my brothers lives with his family in South Seattle, and we got to visit him the weekend that Taylor Swift came to town. All right, you might remember when that happened in Minnesota, and that both of the shows were sold out, and so we knew we didn't wanna go downtown that night. We decided we'd just have cheeseburgers at home, all right? So we're all kinda just hanging out that afternoon when Jake gets a text from one of his best friends from high school, who's now a high-end real estate agent in the Scottsdale area, okay? And it says, hey bro, I'm coming to town today, let's go see Taylor Swift. And Jake reads this and he laughs out loud and he's like, that's not gonna happen. You know, he writes back, buddy, those tickets were sold out months ago. The only ones left are at least $3,000. And he watches the bubbles come back and it says, bro, YOLO, you only live once. I'm taking us to T-Swift. And so Jake leaves the cheeseburgers behind and goes to downtown Seattle to see Taylor Swift. And we just stayed back and waited for the picture to come in of two 43-year-old dads standing in a sea of Swifties, right? There they are, there they are. (laughs) They said they got a lot of sideways looks because they stood out in a crowd where they did not belong. And that happened all the time to Jesus. 
That happened all the time to Jesus in this year-long journey with Jesus that we're on. Right now, we are in a mini-series called The Crowd He Kept, where we are paying attention to the people that Jesus surrounded himself with. Because as Ryan said last week, you learn a lot about a person from the crowd that they keep. And Jesus was known and very often criticized for the people that he surrounded himself with. He often was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. The verse that we drew out last week uh, is when Jesus was at a dinner party with the wrong kind of people. This comes out of Matthew chapter nine. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In the NIV, it's, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Over and over again in the Gospels, observers are shocked by the crowd that Jesus kept, by the people that he seemed to prioritize and value and even include in his kingdom. And so we can learn a lot about Jesus, about his heart, and therefore, because he's the image of the invisible God, we get to learn about the heart of God when we pay attention to the crowd that he kept. And so last weekend, Ryan used that verse to draw out the beautiful story of Levi, scum, turned gift of God, Matthew. So if you missed that message, I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. I think it left all of us considering who are, you know, the people on the fringes, the scum we might consider that Jesus would invite us to see the way that he sees. And then next weekend, Pastor Pastor Jason is going to talk about another group of people who were ostracized and, and diminished and dishonored, and that was half the population, the women that Jesus saw and valued and empowered, and he's still doing that today. And so I'm looking forward to that message next week. I'm really looking forward to it. But this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna climb inside one of the many stories in the gospel where we get to see the the shock that people had about the crowd that Jesus kept by the fact that he included people of diverse backgrounds. Jesus included people of diverse backgrounds. And we could have looked at so many stories uh, to, to explore this. There, of course, is the famous story about the Samaritan woman at the well, right? A lot of us know that story. In that story, Jesus crosses three boundaries. He crosses gender boundary, ethnic boundary, and she was a notorious sinner in that community. So that would have been a good story to live in. There's also the story where the Roman centurion, he comes to Jesus, and and there was a boundary line there because that was an ethnic boundary line. It was also a power dynamic. But he comes to Jesus and says, would you heal my servant? And Jesus, without even thinking about it, crosses these boundary lines in these stories to bring the kingdom of God to them. But I felt drawn to, all I can say is I just felt drawn to the story we're gonna spend time in today. I think it's because it is a complex story It is a messy story, and maybe that's how it felt to me to be having a conversation about diversity these days, (laughs) right? It's complex, it's messy. And so before we jump in, I wanna clarify something right out of the gates. And that is that here at Hosanna, we don't have this conversation, or any conversation, by looking to the left. We don't have this conversation by looking to the right. Here at Hosanna, we look at Jesus, 
All right, so today we are gonna have this conversation by looking straight at Jesus in a very complex and interesting story found in Matthew chapter 15. So if you have a Bible with you, I would love for you to have your Bibles open with me. We're gonna be starting in verse 22, 21. And in my Bible, as I open it, this story has a title, and this, the title of it is The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. And before we can jump into the story, we have to understand the background of what this means. Who are the Canaanites? The Canaanites are the ancient enemies of the Israelites. It's all over in the Old Testament, right? So the Israelites are the people, of, uh, people group that Jesus and his disciples are from. And then there's the Canaanites, his, their ancient enemies. And these two people groups would not have had a lot of overlap. They would have been defined circles because of, of ethnic and religious and historical rifts. And there would have been no reason for these two groups of people to collide, to, to, to meet each other, if Jesus and his disciples had just stayed where they belonged, ministering and, and living uh, in this, the area of the Sea of Galilee among their people, right? But we see in verse 21 that they don't stay there. Verse 21 says, leaving that place, meaning the Sea of Galilee area, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus takes his disciples, and we know it was a 35-mile journey, and they would have walked it. I think I say this often, that reading the Bible always makes me feel lazy, right? They walked this 35 miles up to the city of Tyre, and why did they go? Why did they go? Because Jesus was taking some of his followers on a really important field trip, taking them on a field trip to mingle with some different people, and particularly their ancient enemies, the Canaanites. So I would love to invite you, everybody listening, to use, engage your holy imagination this morning to climb inside of this story. Picture it in your mind. Let's picture this story as they arrive, Jesus and his disciples, entire we read in verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, came to Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So picture it. Jesus and his disciples are in this new city, in a new place. They're mingling with people of different backgrounds, and a voice breaks through the crowd, the voice of a desperate mother. And she must have heard about Jesus, or she must have seen him heal somebody else, and she knows that she needs what he has. All the mamas in the room, all the dads in the room, anybody who cares about a kid, let's just connect our hearts with this woman's heart. She is suffering because her daughter is suffering. And in this case, it says that her daughter is suffering from demon possession. And really, we can only speculate right now what that might have looked like in their daily lives. We just know that this young girl is being tormented. And so her mom is brokenhearted. Her mom is desperate. She's so desperate, she's willing to approach the boundary line. To approach this ethnic boundary line, this religious boundary line, this historical rift boundary line, because she knows that she needs help from Jesus. And what does she say? Lord Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Let's begin with the word Lord. The reality when you read the Gospels is that many of Jesus' closest followers don't even call him Lord. And yet somehow she knows who he is. So she says, Lord, and then she says, son of David, which acknowledges, I know we're not from the same tribe. I know that's your tribe and this is not my tribe, but I also know who you are and I know that I need what you have because my daughter is suffering. Lord, have mercy on me. And this is where the story gets interesting. This is where this story gets spicy and a little confusing. This woman desperate before him, verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Jesus doesn't even respond. That doesn't go with what I know of Jesus. He's wonderful. He's, he's always moved with compassion. So what's going on here? Well, in that void of silence, it gives the opportunity for Jesus' kind, loving disciples to speak up. It says, so his disciples came to him and they urged him, send her away. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Get her out of here, Jesus. This is interesting. It's interesting that the silence that Jesus left open allowed his disciples to speak up and say how they really felt about this woman coming to ask Jesus for help. Sometimes silence is helpful like that. I was thinking about this. I, I use silence a lot of times, strategic silence as a mother. Um, one of the times I use it is when one of my three boys stands in front of our pantry and says something like, Mom, how come you don't ever get us any good snacks? Remember the Doritos I asked you to get? And I just stand back silently, often count down from three, <laughs> two, one. Oh, never mind, Mom, I found them. Thanks, right? Sometimes silence is helpful like that. Sometimes it's helpful like that. And I think in this situation, we know that Jesus is employing this strategic silence. Why? Because he is drawing out. He is drawing out the divisions. He's drawing out the tension between these two groups of people. Then he seems to feed it. In verse 24, he answered, answers this desperate woman. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, yeah, sorry. You know, God only cares about the Jews. God only cares about the Israelites. Sorry. And here again, Jesus is just drawing out the assumptions, drawing out the misconceptions that exist between these two groups of people. Well, the woman won't have it. She won't take no for an answer. The next verse says, the woman came and knelt before him knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. She's on her knees. This is a universal symbol of surrender, a universal symbol of worship. And let's picture it. She's surrounded by her community. She's surrounded by her friends and her family who are watching her relinquish their pagan gods who have not been able to help her daughter at all and instead fall on her knees in front of a Jewish man and call him Lord. Lord, help me. And this part gets a little painful to watch. This woman in front of him, Jesus replies, it's not right. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
what? In essence, he's saying it's not right. It's not right to take the love and the healing and the kingdom of God, you know, that's just for the Jews and, and toss it to dogs like you. Right about now, anybody else reconsidering, following Jesus, right? I mean, this is just so incredibly rude. So there must be something else going on here. There is, because the word dogs was a word that the Israelites were known to use for people outside of the Jewish faith, people outside of the Israelites, people in a different ethnic group than them, dogs. His response, or her response, remember, she's still kneeling on the ground. Listen to what she says. Yes, it is, Lord, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, even if, even if your people wanna call me dogs, I don't care because I know who you are. You are Lord and we serve the same master and I get to come to this table for healing. I get to come to this table for bread. Anybody just wanna give respect to the Canaanite woman right now? How brave she was, how truly she saw. How does Jesus respond? The way he intended to respond the entire time. Make no mistake, the way that is consistent with his character. He says next, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. You can see her just giving him his hand and pulling her up. He says, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. This, you know, Jesus says to this woman, oh, healing your daughter was easy. I already did it. I already did it. Thank you for being part of this. Because what I was doing here was drawing out wounds, drawing out very deep wounds so that I could heal those wounds. Isn't this an incredible story? I mean, really, it, it gets so little airtime, but I think it's like the best and the worst story in the Gospels, right? It feels like a story that just sticks a spoon in my soul and like stirs it up on this Sunday morning. And so what's happening here? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. In summary, because it's a complex story, but in summary, this is a story about a group of people following Jesus and they have heard the good news. They know they're, they're loved by God. They know they're healed. They know their sins are forgiven, all right? They, they've heard the gospel. They're walking in it. But Jesus takes them on a field trip to draw out, draw out the deep-seated stuff, the deep-seated misconceptions and, and misunderstandings and judgments in their soul, to draw it out, draw it out, and show them that Jesus came for everybody. He came for everybody. The gospel, the good news, the healing of the kingdom is for people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, every background, every diverse background that there is. And the, the disciples get to learn that right here. You can clap for that, of course you can. That's just true. And we say hallelujah to it, we do. I really do think in this congregation that is something we say hallelujah to. And I just know because I've lived in this story over the last few weeks that there's more we can learn if we're gonna let this story move from our head to our heart, it'll, it'll transform us. And the best way for that to happen, at least in my life, is to climb inside the story and ask the question, who am I in this story? Who do I need to learn from? So let's do that together and let's start with the disciples. 
Let's start with them because they are like us, people who desire, I think most of us, we wouldn't be here if we didn't, to wanna follow Jesus. And they, they follow him into a new and even uncomfortable space for them. And the prayer of my heart is, you know, Jesus, would you lead me into those spaces? Take me into those spaces. May I be willing to follow you there. But we also notice that when they go, when they go, they carry with them. They carry with them assumptions and judgments and messy history, messy history with the Canaanites. It, it appears kind of cold-hearted at first, but I think it was extremely natural for it to come out of them when they said, oh, send her away, Jesus. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. You know, get her out of here, Jesus. Her cries aren't important. And I don't like it. I don't like it. But I do think that this story invites me before the Holy Spirit to wonder, do I ever do that? If Jesus left silence open for me, what might come out of me? And maybe it starts by Jesus giving me some silence to see what comes up, to let it be exposed so that I can confess before him, Jesus, I still do see boundaries and I don't cross them anywhere near as often as I should. So on one hand, the story invites me to grow with the disciples. But actually, actually my place and yours in this story, unless you're Jewish, is not as one of Jesus' Jewish disciples, but is actually as the Gentile as the Gentile woman, because at its core, this is a story about Jesus extending his hand, reaching across an ethnic boundary between the Israelites and the Gentiles, and I'm one of those, and so are you. The reality is, if Jesus hadn't been willing to cross ethnic boundaries to bring the gospel to them, I wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be here today we would not know that we are invited to fall on our knees and say, Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy on my daughter. Have mercy on my marriage. Have mercy on, on my kids, on my relationships, on my life. Lord, have mercy on me. We can say that because of the boundaries that Jesus was willing to cross to get to me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So what? So what? This is a spicy story. It's an interesting story. Sticks a spoon in our soul and stirs us up on this Sunday morning. But so what? You know, you didn't get dressed and come to church today for information. You came to church today for transformation. Amen. And this is the point in the morning and really in our whole year with Jesus where we get to do this at the, ever, at the end of every message to ask the question, if that's who Jesus is, then who are we to be? We're a church that wants to look more like Jesus, so if that's who Jesus is, then who are we to be? And I do think that there's both a personal and a corporate answer to this question. Let's begin with the personal. It's where we always need to start. I think there really is something to wondering about the silence. If Jesus opens the silence, how do I fill it? What's still in me? But I also know this about my life, that the only way to get there, the only way to have that opportunity is to go on a field trip. To go on a field trip to go outside of my comfort zone, to follow Jesus into a new place, and maybe even an uncomfortable place that I've never been before, so that Jesus can show me new things. And so for you and for me, that might be going across the world. 
Maybe you've been feeling a tug on your heart to do something like that, and maybe this message is a confirmation. Like, yeah, I gotta do that. It might be across the world. It also could be right around the corner. Here at Hosanna, we have a ministry that you should know about if you don't. It's called Heart. And this is the heart of our heart ministry, is to reach across boundary lines. They reach across, this ministry reaches across ethnic and economic and all social, all the lines, all the time, to multiply the hope and heartbeat of Jesus, to bring the love of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, and the resources of the kingdom of God to wherever Jesus leads, to whoever Jesus leads. And so if you've yet to, to get involved in heart, I can't encourage you more to do so. That'd be one personal thing. Another personal thing, and, and this one, honestly, is, is a little bit deeper and a little bit harder, and it's something that I have been trying to do. I'm not there yet, but it's something I've been trying to do, and that is to be intentional about building relationships across boundary lines. It's the only way that it can really happen is when we have conversations that we get to listen and we get to actually hear the cries of the people across the boundary line. And what I find when I spend time with people of diverse backgrounds is that so many of our cries are exactly the same, especially when it comes to our children. So there'd be many personal ways that we could lean into this. We all have individual work to do. You know, sociologists, psychologists, they say that this is true, that all of us have a hard time seeing difference and, and, and connecting with it. When we see difference, we usually separate. That's human nature. That's human nature. But I wanna stand before you today and say, I'm not particularly interested in living out of my human nature. I really wanna live out of my Jesus nature. Does anybody else wanna live like that? I want to live out of my Jesus nature. That's what I want personally in my life. And so I just say, come Holy Spirit, help me, help me. So there's a personal level, but there's also a corporate level. You know, we're a church that wants to look more like Jesus. And so how are we doing this? I wonder if some of you care about that. I know you do. And to get us there, I'm gonna ask us to rewind to 2020. I know we don't wanna go. I don't wanna go either. I don't wanna go to, that's the field trip I don't wanna take, right? We're just gonna go back for a moment to 2020 so that we can remember. Let's remember together. Let's remember that it was our city, Minneapolis, that was on fire over the killing of George Floyd. Let's remember together that before that event, prophets had spoken over the state of Minnesota and they had said, we see that God wants to do a work here, a special work, a set apart work, particularly in the area of racial reconciliation. And many people believe that the reason God might have his eye on Minnesota is because there's enough Jesus followers left. There's enough of us left, enough people who wanna look more like Jesus that maybe God could move here in this way. And so it was in 2020 that Ryan, lead pastor, stepped into that moment and he shared a conviction that he had coming out of a conversation he had with a black man from our church. So let's remember this and watch it together. This really is where the conviction came from me. He said, you know what's hard for people of color, Ryan, is that everyone's talking about this right now because of what's just happened, but six months from now, most people, especially those that don't have to face anything related to the color of their skin on a day-to-day -day basis, they will just have moved on. And it just, like a bolt of lightning, conviction hit me. 
we will be talking about it six months from now. I will be talking about this six months from now. Sure, you can clap for that. And here we are, here we are, not six months later, but three years later. We're still talking about this. Not all the time. Not all the time, because it's not the main thing. But we have to talk about it enough to be faithful. Enough to be faithful to our vision to look more like Jesus. Enough to be faithful to look more like the communities that surround our campuses. Enough to be faithful to the vision in Revelation 7-9 that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there to worship. We wanna look like that here. And we wanna look like that because that's the crowd that Jesus kept. That's the crowd that Jesus kept. And we wanna be more like Jesus. So I would just let you know that this is a conversation we've continued to have as a senior leadership team and as a staff. In fact, over the last year, we sought out the wonderful counsel, the wonderful counsel of a pastor and church leader named Christopher Harris. And he's somebody who works with churches on this, works with churches on this, helps churches to see where we might have food in our teeth, you know, where we are failing to, to see and value and empower everybody of diverse backgrounds in our midst. And we've been making progress. I will say that we are making progress, but we also will say humbly that we know we're not there yet. And so particularly to people of diverse backgrounds, in our rooms and listening, we just wanna say thank you for your patience. We also wanna say we always invite your feedback. I would literally tell you, email me. Email me, because we want to know how we can do better with this. Not because we're looking to the right, not because we're looking to the left, but because we want to look more like Jesus. And so in just a moment, we get to come to the table for communion together as a whole church. But before we do that, I wanna point you to something. On your phone, you all have one, there is a Hosanna app. You might have it on your phone already and maybe you haven't looked at it in a while. You should open it up and if you don't have it, you should download it because every single week, and you may not know this, Attached to the weekend's message is a conversation guide. We work hard to design it for you so that you have it to be able to have a conversation about the day's message with your family or your friends or your community group. And this week's, this week's conversation is gonna be really important. But I also want you to know that on that conversation guide at the bottom, there will be a link to learn more. And the first thing that you can do is watch a short interview. I think it's about seven minutes between Ryan and Christopher Harris because we would love for you to get to know him, to hear his voice, to hear his heart, uh, particularly as he's helping us with this. And then there's a, there's a link to a page where you can learn more about specific efforts that, that we're trying to make here at Hosanna, because this is important and we wanna look more like Jesus. So that's all that. But you came to church today, not for information, but for transformation. And so how is the Lord inviting you to be transformed today? How does he want this messy story to impact your heart. The goal, of course, is that we want the crowd we keep to look more like the crowd that Jesus kept. I believe we can all say amen to that. Amen. All right, well now we get to come at all four of our campuses to this table. And as I approach this table, you know whose words I have ringing in my heart? The Canaanite woman who said, I know this table is for everybody. Lord, I come to this table. 
So I would invite you, you received it when you came in. If you didn't receive a cup uh, when you came into your room, just raise your hand and an usher will look for you and, and bring you one. Let's prepare them together. We do that by just lifting the first layer off to expose the piece of bread. You can grab that. And then the next layer down has the juice. And hear this, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he sat at a table with his disciples, the crowd he kept. And they were a group of people just like us right here who were on the journey of learning how to love people the way that Jesus did. And that night, he said to them, would you do this often? Would you come together often to eat bread and drink wine? And when you do, remember that this is my body that was broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could live in complete communion with God. And that night, he asked them to remember him. And at another time, he asked his followers to pray the prayer often that he taught them to pray. And so we're gonna pray that prayer with one voice at all of our campuses. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now what we're gonna do is what we always do here at Hosanna with Communion. We give you a couple of moments just to be with the Lord. We don't have enough time to do that in our busy lives very often. And so we're just gonna give you two minutes to be with Jesus, to come to the table. It will be silent, and let's just be open to whatever's supposed to rise up in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to speak to us about. So you'll have that two minutes on your own, and at any point, you may receive the bread and receive the wine on your own. At the end of our time together, the campus pastor will come up to dismiss our service. So now, Enjoy a couple of minutes alone with Jesus.